Hi, I'm Chris Shaffrey, the president of the AANS, and I want to invite you to Boston for our annual meeting, which is going to be held on April 25th through 29th, 2020. The theme of the meeting is the world of neurosurgery. It's going to be an exciting, informative, compelling meeting, and I strongly encourage you all to attend. Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast. I'm Mike Wang, and I'm here with my co-host, J.P. Colson. We are here to discuss all things neurosurgical. Hi, this is J.P. Colson, a resident in neurosurgery at Rush University. Please note that this is not a CME event, and the opinions and statements made in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's get started. So today we have Adam Arthur. Adam is a neurosurgeon at the Sims Murphy Clinic, University of Tennessee. He's the director of cerebrovascular. And we have a very interesting and important topic for those of you who are interested in stroke and stroke call. Um, Adam, you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little about your background? Sure. I'm a neurosurgeon on the faculty at the University of Tennessee Department of Neurosurgery in the Sims Murphy Neurologic and Spine Clinic. I do both open and endovascular neurosurgery. Uh, in Memphis, Tennessee. That's great. Now, I've always considered endovascular to be like the new spine, right? You guys have the cool new technology, uh, all the industries interested in what you do, the the devices change every year, and it's always to me been a very exciting area, but I've sensed that a lot of the folks that are doing this are coming under a lot of pressure in terms of taking care of the stroke call. Is that true? Yes. Tell us about that. Well, so um, the driver here is mechanical thrombectomy. So stroke is the leading cause of disability in the United States, arguably uh, the most expensive disease we face. And when someone has a large vessel occlusion, a blockage in their carotid, their middle cerebral artery, their basilar artery, their chance of survival if the clot is not removed is low, uh, and that survival is, is likely very compromised. Uh, if you can, in a time-dependent fashion, go in and remove the clot, we had a series of trials starting in 2015 that show that that's one of the most influential and effective therapies available in the hospital. So one of the statistics that I think is most interesting is the number needed to treat. If, if I see ruptured aneurysm patients, for instance, I need to clip 10 ruptured aneurysms properly to save one patient from death or disability. For asymptomatic carotid stenosis, I've got to do something like 70 carotid endarterectomies to save one patient from death or disability. Um, With mechanical thrombectomy, I only have to do it twice to save one patient from death or disability. Wow, wow. And and now I have seen some of these cases, and I've got to tell you, you want to talk about impressive. Here's a patient comes into the ER, completely paralyzed aphasic. They go through this thrombectomy, and when it works and it's timely and it's the right patient, they come out normal. I mean, it's like, it's almost like a miracle. So most of the the trials document that we're able to return somebody to a modified Rankin scale of two or better about half the time. So uh, while we do make a big deal out of the patients that come out normal, and that does happen some of the times, the, the truth of the matter is that most patients who have an occlusion of a large vessel in their head have some kind of a stroke afterwards. But it can be the difference between completely disabled and, and really crippled 
um, or returning to a, a very good quality of life. So you're right. It's a big deal. But you're talking about potentially hundreds of thousands of people in America a year, right? I mean, this is a big deal. Oh, yeah. No, so, it's, it's millions. Yeah, millions. So, so tell me then, okay, so now this amazing technology comes along. And it's, what is it, undervalued? Like, what's going on that, that is creating this problem in terms of stroke call? Well, it's very time dependent. Um, so uh, the, the, there's a, an influential paper out there by Jeff Saver that talks about uh, the number of neurons on average that you lose in a situation like this. And it's just under 2 million neurons a minute. Mm. Um, so um, we are now in a situation where neurointerventional specialists, which includes neurosurgeons, neurologists, and radiologists by and large, have got to get to the hospital immediately, 24 hours a day, in order to do this. And we're seeing the volumes as we focus on stroke and as we try to get more of these patients the care they need, we're seeing the volumes go up dramatically. Um, so where uh, uh, in 2011, you might only have done a, a handful of thrombectomies over the course of the year, now you have major centers that are doing an average one a day. And, and a lot of times they're not at convenient times. So it really does interfere with your quality of life. And, and yeah, it is not an, ex, an especially well-reimbursed procedure. Um, uh, on average, the, the DRG for hospitals for, uh, for a, a large vessel occlusion uh, is, is pretty good, although often the, the, those patients are expensive. Um, but for physicians, the, uh, the reimbursement is, is really, um, it's, it's not commensurate with what happens to your life as a parent or as a mate if you're uh, running into the hospital at all hours of the day and night. Yeah, that malalignment really is a problem. And I can tell you that we've had many promising uh, young surgeons from our institution, for example, who did an infolded fellowship in endo. And by the end of their residency, and they were amazing and they were willing to do all this stuff, by the end of their residency, they got married or something, right? And then now they're like, wow, you know, I don't know if I can do this every other night or Right, every third night kind of thing. So you, how many, how many people you need in a center to make it reasonable? So I guess uh, I mean this is just my opinion, but I think reasonable call is less than one in four. Right, and, and or so one, one one in four or less. So that means you need four neurointerventionalists, neurosurgeons, whoever it is that's doing this, uh, in each major hospital at the minimum. Well, so uh, let's talk about what can be done to improve the situation. So in trauma, we have a good system of regionalization. Not every hospital is a level one trauma center. I think we need to mirror that for stroke. While, while every hospital might want to provide a thrombectomy, I know of no compelling rationale that providing thrombectomy on every corner is better for patients. Uh, in fact, you know, as long as there's a reasonable number of centers, regionalization would really help, and then you could have fewer people on call. And then secondly, as the technology evolves, uh, we may, within five to 10 years, I would guess, see this being able to be done remotely. So there are now robotics companies. Uh, they've already done uh, STEMI uh, and vascular procedures from 100 miles away. Uh, so it may be that at some point I don't need to put my pants on anymore because I can stay home and do thrombectomies using a, an Xbox controller on my, uh, on my TV. Yeah, I saw this great video. One of these young Israeli inventors has this drone. And I don't know if you've seen this, and you've seen it right, that the drone flies out to you and delivers a CPR machine, uh, a defibrillator, right? And I mean, it kind of makes sense from a technological standpoint. But so, so what are you guys doing? Sims Murphy is a huge operation. You're one of the biggest you know, neurosurgery centers in the world. What are you guys doing uh, to combat this problem? So in July, we'll hire our seventh neurointerventionalist, and the following July, we'll hire our eighth. 
And we have a mixed team that includes people who come from different training backgrounds, radiology, neurosurgery, and neurology. And we cover more than one institution per night. Um, so it's a model that, that we use that we think is useful. It can be difficult. It has its own challenges. Um, uh, it's, it's sort of like if you're the, the guy who makes the bottles for both Pepsi and Coke. Uh, uh, as, as you might imagine, you can get into issues. But I think providing really well-trained people who uh, uh, are, are at the top of their game and have a reasonable quality of life uh, is, is very important to provide patients with their best chance of avoiding disability. Now, Sorry, go ahead, John. It seems like right now, kind of as we touched on, there's a huge disconnect between disease burden and the potential influence of timely intervention and the lifestyle that people have to give those interventions. So what would you say to people coming up right now about where you see the field going and what the prospects are entering your interventional practice? I think you're, you're catching the wave right as it comes to a crest. I mean, I, I think there's going to be an explosion within interventional techniques. Um, uh, within the next few months, we're going to start a randomized controlled trial looking at embolizing the middle meningeal artery to treat chronic subdural hemorrhage, an increasing problem in our uh, elderly patient population, many of whom are on anticoagulants or antiplatelets. Uh, there's, there's good uh, work being done to uh, approach cancer through an endovascular approach. Uh, I think it's uh, nature's own highway to deliver things to the body. And so right now it's a little tough. Yes, right now thrombectomy call is difficult, but I still think this is an amazing field to go into. And so, so if you think about this from the perspective of the patient, like neurosurgeons do this, neurologists do it, interventionalists do it, uh, radiologists, right? I have my own biases, but I mean, are, should, should neurosurgeons be the people that do this? Well, so some people think that we should be training every neurosurgeon to do thrombectomy. And in fact, I believe that... Uh, uh, the, the board is considering uh, a requirement for thrombectomy for, for neurosurgical trainees. Um, I, at the moment, it's an interdisciplinary field, and I certainly uh, don't want to be misinterpreted to be saying that uh, we should bar or, or impede or oppose uh, people coming into neurointervention from radiology or uh, from neurology. Uh, if, if you told me you were in med school and what you really wanted to do is neurointerventional therapy, I think my answer would be, well, your best way to get there is neurosurgery uh, because it's procedural, right? And the, and the most important part of any procedure is patient selection. And man, do I see that as a big deal within stroke. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Don't you think, John Paul? Yeah. You thinking about this as a field at all, John Paul? I mean, I'm in my first year of residency right now, so uh, neurosurgery is open before me. How do you look at this when you're trying to make a decision at your level? What do you think of what Dr. Arthur's saying? So... I think I'm early enough that the toils of call aren't really that gruesome for me yet. Hadn't gotten real still, yet. Exactly. I still have the wide-eyed innocence of youth. Um, so some of the more appealing arguments for a given field would be outcomes, disease prevalence, how many people you can actually influence. So um, the things we've been discussing, like the number needed to treat, that makes a strong argument for, for a field like this. Well, that's exciting work you're doing, uh, Adam, and I want to thank you for the time you've taken to speak to us today. Uh, anything else you'd like to share with us that's going on at Sims Murphy? Anything cool you're doing? 
I mean, I love my field. I love my team. Uh, we've got phenomenal fellows. Um, uh, one thing that I'm excited about that we've done uh, is that we've uh, uh, entered into a partnership with um, a, a group at Prince of Wales and Liverpool Hospital in Sydney. So every fellow who comes to uh, Memphis to do vascular training does 18 months in Memphis and six months in Sydney. And because it's generally a higher bar to get a new device into the United States, we got a situation now where I'm getting ready to start a, a clinical trial with a new flow diverter, and the only American physician who's ever put one in is my fellow in Sydney who's already done more than 10. Oh, wow. Wow, that's super cool. That, I, you should do a fellowship with Adam, yeah. I think, yeah. Not to mention the robots. Yeah. Not to mention the robots. <laughs> well, thanks for your time today, Adam. Great to talk to both of Welcome you. To the Thank you.